You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, January 20th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake here with Tony Greer, editor of the Morning Navigator newsletter. Hi, Tony. How are you? Maggie, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, uh, but the, the market's not. Uh, we really saw stocks kind of deteriorate here at the end of the day after what was looking like a rebound or at least some stability in U.S. equities. What do you make of this late, late day uh, sell-off? Yeah, you know, the, we're adjusting to a higher yield regime. Um, you know, it, it, it looks like, you know, today is a day where we're kind of getting a lot more widespread participation on the downside. Um, you know, we've been in the first two weeks of the year in a really aggressive rotation uh, where technology has been sort of backing off with higher yields, you know, that higher beta stuff, the high liquidity, high flyers and momentum names have backed off, um, you know, and we've seen natural resources rally quite smartly in the same period of time that, you know, the NASDAQ has backed off. The Bloomberg Commodities Index has climbed to a new high for the recent move. So that's part of the rotation that we've really been expecting. Um, it looks like it got a little bit nasty today with uh, metals and mining on the downside, cannabis on the downside, retail got clobbered today. These are all the two sigma of the big moves today on the downside. Um, you know, but we've got some strength in things like Bitcoin and social media and the commodities complex. Mm. So for me, this is exactly what we've been expecting um, in terms of a little bit more volatility heading into the year where everybody's still turning the ship and trying to get ready for four rate cuts or something along those lines that the market is pricing in right now. So that's yeah. what we are. So so it feels it feels like like the rotation. It doesn't feel like something something else going on because it was pretty pretty rapid toward the end of the day. I mean, it was it was it, you saw the gains start to fade. I mean, we're talking about a Nasdaq that was up two percent at the start of the session, um, but but and and it was sort of drifting. But you saw it really accelerate here in the last hour, last half hour even. Yeah, that's how it goes. You know, we get closer to MOC selling and. Um, everybody's kind of getting their book ready. So with technology coming apart today, you know, we've got the NASDAQ and the triple Qs below the 200 day moving average, which is an average that they haven't seen in the entire rally from the mark uh, from the lockdown lows of March 2020. So, you know, this is where the difference between a meaningless move and a very meaningful move really presents itself to a trader, right? You know, that the tape has been sort of off a couple percent here and there. But as you can see, as you spill through moving averages, you start to run into new layers of, of stop levels where you've got long sellers selling out on various different levels. And for a little while, we're just going to be under pressure here until the boat rebalances itself. And I think that we'll find that level. Probably it'll take a little bit longer this time because we are dealing with a much more serious rate change regime than we have been in the past. So this is something that I'm going to expect to sort of reemerge into the picture. Tech weakness, natural resources strength, a lot of rotation going on. And we're going to sort it out and figure out how to get on our secular bull at some point this quarter. 
Yeah, I'm so, I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, you know, some of the technical things that are going on. I know that you look at that really closely. And for folks who may be listening to this and can't see um, or, or you know, have another screen up, when you're talking about the 200-day uh, moving average, you're talking about a pretty significant level. And it's a sort of a channel that's been moving higher um, as the NASDAQ has had this tremendous rally. When you see something like that either tested or break, I mean, what kind of follow through could we see? We actually have a question from Daniel on YouTube saying, uh, Mr. Dale, I think he's referring to Darius Dale, um, who, who, as you know, is a, a frequent guest on um, the okay. Daily Briefing, said selling continues into next week. What are your thoughts on a short term bottom in the NASDAQ? When will it stop bleeding? Don't buy the first day of a breakdown, my friend. Um, I would hold off on looking for a NASDAQ bottom at the moment. It feels like this is something that is sort of, um, you know, going to pick up a little bit of momentum along the way here, especially if the U.S. two-year yields continue to march higher and break shit. Excuse my French, but that this is the stuff <laughs> it that- It feels like that's what's happening. So. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, they're, they're, they're finally breaking the will of long tech trader. And uh, we're going to have to see where well, there's going to be some brand of come to Jesus moment in that sector, um, which has likely had it coming for quite a while. And, and, you know, this this is the time that you've got to expect it when the Federal Reserve is being extremely vocal about tackling this inflation issue. And, you know, you see yields spiking higher, the dollar sort of falling over a little bit with that um, lack of buying power theme in the, in the data that we've been seeing. And so, like I said, Maggie, we're going to figure out where this goes. But I would I would advise that first question from that uh, subscriber not to buy the first day of a breakdown, because I would give this some time. You know, if the queues traded from the March lockdown low of call it 160 to a peak at 400 and there's a 50 percent pullback of that move due to this rate change regime, which would not shock me at all. That probably puts the triple Q back at a price of around 275, 300. And that looks like that that's probably, uh, yeah, it's a good 20% or so from here. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that it doesn't find its points and rally, but I'm going to say that I'm going to bet that uh, after several weeks, you're going to find the NASDAQ at a lower place and probably the Bloomberg Commodities Index at a higher price. Yeah. So uh, is are we in a situation now where we, we moved away from what was that really persistent trend of buying the dip. And now people who may be still in those high beta trades or still longer technology than they'd like to be um, just looking for the opportunity to sell any rally. Is that the is that feel like that's that's the, the right instinct now? Maggie, that's a great interpretation of it, because that's it's that's sort of exactly what I see when I look at the chart. Right. You, you went through what I see as a distribution towards the highs, you know, as the as the call of the queues tested 400. Right. Just because it's a big round number in technology. You know, we tested that number four, five, six, seven times. There was a lot of stock changing hands on that rally. There was, you know, very low volatility with, you know, the uh, VIX at the lows and the S&P at the highs. And the market pushed toward the highs three or four times before failing. And in those three or four times are going to be several bull traps where excessively bullish momentum traders say, OK, we just broke out. This is an ad. And they turn around a week later and they are stopping out below moving averages on the downside. 
So yeah, that 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 sort of jives with what I'm seeing in price action. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And this is also, I think, where you're going to see the difference between people who are who have a shorter term horizon and then people who maybe do have a longer term horizon. Um, and those shorter term horizons are going to be very nimble and they're going to be using a lot of tools in the option market um, when they make those moves. So you're going to have to be careful and figure out which one of those you are. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, we're we're going to dive into commodities and all that stuff in a moment. I do want to just touch on one more question because it's kind of related, I think, to the sell-off we saw here um, late in the day. And this is from Goncalo on the exchange. Um, Tony, I saw some weakness in XOP and energy producers. Could this be a new trend where energy trades with yields, yields down, energy down? Or could this be a pre-OPEX uh, day move? Also, historically, was there ever a period when general indices went down and commodity producers up. Oh yeah, um, I have seen that take place. And so let, let's get to the question the way you asked, uh, because it's an excellent question. If you are positioned long in the natural resources space, which I am, and my subscribers are, you know, you have you've got to look at this and re- certainly respect a three and a half percent move lower in XOP when you're long oil and gas stocks. But you have to call up the charts and notice the difference, right? And this is what I'm talking about, about the significance of a move versus a pure magnitude of a move. Today is just one of the days that the selling across the tech space and the broad markets got to the energy space also. So you look at the chart and you say, oh, my goodness, it's off three and a half percent. Is that damaging the chart? And you can notice that, no, it's not. What it is is pulling back from the highs of the move and adjusting back into the sort of middle of the channel that it's been following higher. Why? Because there's all this risk off going on around us. And so that just makes sense to me that eventually it's going to get to the latest of the oil and gas longs and players. So what what I think we're going to see is as technology sort of comes apart, you know, call it something like NASDAQ down 10%, XOP down 5% over the next couple of weeks. And then should that be the end of the selling round for now, you might see XOP up 15% and the NASDAQ up 5% in the couple of weeks that follow that. So this is where you're going to get that ratcheting effect, the back and forth of big tech being a huge weight across the indices, pulling the indices lower collateral damage all over the tape mm-hmm. and then you're going to see the ship right itself and we're going to get back into a natural resources led bull market such such a great point tony and the fact that they would respond differently um you know and, and more aggressively on the upside to the one where the fundamentals match up a little bit more um it, excellent excellent point you know one, one of the difficult things uh happening i think right now is that we have so many cross currents to pay attention to so many things going on um, both from a trading perspective, a technical perspective, and also, you know, from a macro perspective, just want to just want to point out with all that happened today, including the econ data dump, which we haven't even gotten to from the U.S., there was also a rate cut by China. 
Um, thankfully, Weston Nakamura is all over for us, um, and he sent this report from Tokyo. Let's have a listen. Hey guys, so just want to quickly go over the PBOC um, policy cuts that uh, happened this week, including today. So the PBOC made cuts to its loan prime rates today, LPRs, um, and this is following uh, an unexpected 10 basis point cut off of the medium term lending facility or MLF loans uh, from Monday, as China had reported a weak GDP of 4% in Q4, and then also as about 500 billion in RMB in loans were due to mature. So this MLF rate acts as guidance for the benchmark LPR lending rates. Um, and indeed today, we saw cuts on those benchmark LPRs. Now, PBOC already made uh, a cut to one-year LPR in late December, but at that time, my reading of this December move was symbolic. Um, and not symbolic of easing, but rather the opposite. So the December one-year LPR cut of five basis points, or basically the lowering of a rate from 3.85% to 3.8%. That's materially meaningless to the corporate borrowers um, that this rate targets. Um, so my take at that time wasn't that PBOC was signaling easing that they're doing, but it was to underscore what they're not doing or avoiding doing, which was the five-year LPR, which is what mortgages reference. And the five-year LPR remained untouched in December. So the message wasn't easing. The message was we are not lending uh, a hand to the property and real estate uh, sector. And that's why in December, when they uh, cut one-year LPR and left five-year LPR alone, the market sold off. Well, today, PBOC made that cut in five-year LPR for the first time since April 2020, and signaling potentially the start of a policy turnaround from uh, the ongoing property and real estate deleveraging drive. And indeed, this time, markets responded positively, even in the face of a NASDAQ correction. Hang Seng Index rallied uh, and closed up 3.5% on the day. Um, with the property sector leading the way, right? Some of the most beaten up names of late, surging, uh, you know, Shimao up 12%, Country Garden Holdings up 15%. And then what else rallied? The other Beijing crackdown victims, big tech. So Alibaba, Tencent, JD up 6%, Meituan up 11%. But we do have to keep in mind two things. One, there's a difference between short covering and the opening of new longs. And today was vastly the former. And then number two, it's still too early to call any major policy pivot, and we need to keep eyes on Beijing as anything can come out and negate a single policy rate cut. Um, but having said that, five-year LPR today was the most uh, significant among the other rate cuts in recent weeks out of China. And that's it for me. Thanks a lot, and back to you guys. That was such a great explainer uh, from Weston, such a significant development that we need to be paying close attention to China, so critical to the global economy. Uh, for more, be sure to check out West on Trading on our YouTube channel. Um, Tony, how much are interest rates and, and you know the Fed outlook here influencing your decision making here? We've kind of priced in an awful lot of aggressive action from the Fed. It's a great point, Maggie. It, you know, Two-year yields have been calling the bat signal, and as they continue to race higher, you know, through one percent now, um, you know, you're probably getting close to the levels where you know you match up with the Fed rate hikes, and we're getting close to the levels where they should find some resistance in yields. So um, the yield market, you know, the Treasury market has been extremely influential in my decision making, trading my natural resources book. But as I mentioned before, you know, I use the bond market and the dollar as my speedometers uh, to tell me how much risk I can afford to have on in the natural resources space. So it's the kind of thing where, you know, at some point, 
two-year yields are going to find a peak and we're going to run into a bad piece of economic data that's a big miss and that boat's going to turn around, right? And treasuries are going to start rallying in a retracement rally format um, and yields are going to back off. And when yields back off, the inflation trade is likely to back off with it. So I'm very carefully trying to make sales into breakaway rallies as they get away from their moving averages in commodities and, and scrub the highs so that I'll have the chance to buy them back when that yield, uh, when that move in yields happens and reverses and the commodity trade falls back in my lap. But right now, you know, as you can see, um, the sell-off in technology is not bothering anybody in the commodity space. You know, you still got um, oil pinned to the highs for a number of good reasons. LME copper, you know, retesting 10K, retaking 10K on the upside, I should say, another sign of strength. You've got aluminum pressing the highs again out of the blue, nickel carving an all-time high for the move. Grains just yeah. joined the rally because if gasoline is going to be this price for an extended period of time, the price of grains and, and fertilizer and ammonia is going to have to go much higher. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's why, you know, the commodities index right now does not care about de-risking in the triple Q. That's another world right now. Yeah, it, it's, it's actually incredible when you see all of these moves happening. I, I think we need to sort of um, roll back and, and let's start with oil. I mean, we've been talking about commodities. You've been bullish on them um, and clear about how you feel about them. But let's just remind viewers who may not have watched um, back in early December, you and Tracy Shukart actually made the call on the prices we are seeing. Let's have a listen. For the second time. <laughs> so are we going to go with, Trace, your call on the next $15 from um, last sale in WTI at 67.50 is what? All right. So if I have to say my, I'm I'm going with up. Okay. Again. Totally fair. So we'll look. Yeah, no, that's yeah. totally fair. And I respect it. And, you know, I'm not, that doesn't mean that oil can't go a bit lower. It definitely can. But really, I feel like we're nearing a near-term bottom, at least. And, and all my technical indicators are, you know, kind of indicating that as well. So, you know, we may go a few bucks lower, but I think ultimately, you know, heading into, you know, especially heading into next year, um, that we're headed higher. And, you know, January tends to be a very, very bullish month. I think this is just a perfect storm. Like it's a, so many things happened at the same time. Um, and that's why we're getting such, you know, a, a, such a huge, huge move, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going with the next 15 bucks being up. So we'll call it from 68. We're looking for 83 before we see 68 minus 15 is what? 53. Yes. Um, and that entire interview, um, if you care to watch on the essential plus and pro tiers and, you know, Tony, I think it's worth like just taking a minute because we rock and roll through these, through all these asset classes every day on this show. But um, that was completely accurate and i think maybe begs the question you know what are you seeing now are why are we holding up so well on that price well we could go over all the reasons but we would have to make this a 90 minute show can can you get clearance with the producers real quick <laughs> not sure about that i don't think i have that going, we'll start going over we'll have the crude oil prices and backed off um yeah tracy shoot cart chart mentioned a, a number of good reasons in that video she is a sharp cookie and um that's the second time we nailed that call so that's something to be proud of if you ask me 
uh, Maggie, we've got a confluence of, of headlines that are sort of supporting the story of a great supply demand story in the energy markets once again, right? We've got the drone terrorists, first of all, are unfortunately back in business. We just saw the uh, Houthi rebels from Yemen attack um, Abu Dhabi, uh, basically the United Arab Emirates National Oil Company. Um, you know, that tends to take a little bit of production offline and make traders worry about the next potential drone attack. So that, you know, now that we've got that sort of in the flywheel of the energy markets, that's important. The IEA just came out and said that demand is now going to exceed pre-COVID levels, right? We're going to go to nearly 100 million barrels per day of global oil demand. That's a big reason behind why this, why the energy markets aren't backing off. The next big reason is between OPEC and Russia. So between Saudi Arabia, really, we'll call it, and Russia, they are probably not able to raise uh, the output. They're probably not able to meet the production output quotas that they agreed to. So this 400,000 barrel per day raise in output, they're only coming up with, in reality, 260,000 barrels on any given day, 300,000 barrels on any given day. Russia just came out and said the same thing. They said, we're lucky if we meet half of our goals in production increases over the next six months. Wow. So when you pair that up with the Brent crude oil price breaking out through a double top into a new high for this move, it makes sense to me that people are now looking at oil as if it's priced in the 90s and we have to get prepared for that. So I think that that all adds up to me in a big dot connecting exercise you know, when I put all those together on the positive side of the crude ledger and on the negative side, I come up with, you know, I'm looking for the demand destruction and I don't see it at higher prices in gasoline right now. We're not there yet. I'm looking for reasons that the demand is going to fall off or supply is going to bubble up. I look at Cushing, Oklahoma, and it continues to drain. So for me, it's still green light go in the energy patch. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. I'm so glad you brought up that one point. And great to put that political risk, you know, the drone attacks on the table, Tony, because we haven't been talking about that. We have a question from Michael Marsh, and you just touched on that, but let's tease it out a little bit. He asked on the exchange with oil closing in on $9 a barrel, will producers find it difficult to keep a lid on production and greed seep back into the market? i.e. drill, baby, drill. You just mentioned that Russia and Saudi are having a hard time keeping up with it. So it sounds like you don't think that that is, you know, restraint or willpower, that there are fundamental reasons. Is it shortage of labor? Is it underinvestment? Why can't they keep up with those quotas? Well, there's only 500 rigs in the Gulf right now. And that, that's a that's a off from 1,300, uh, I believe it was at its peak or so. Uh, no, excuse me, around 900 rigs, around 900 at the peak. I'm sorry, I, mis I misnomered that. Um, so we've only got 500 uh, rigs out there right now. And yeah, eventually these companies will be opportunistic and maybe pivot towards drilling more. But right now, that's not politically palatable. 
right? We're still in the throes of the ESG, uh, you know, pivot to carbon neutral, and that's going to continue to keep a cap on investment. So, yeah, you know, if it becomes, you know, when the price gets high enough that the politics swings and it gets loud enough, and we may be nearing that because if you read Larry Fink's uh, CEO letter, he started to give a little bit of credit to the fossil fuel companies and saying we're going to need them for this process. Mm. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, a little more neutrality on the topic from, you know, one of the chief, chief drivers of the energy crisis. So that was kind of nice. Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing is, once that does become a reasonable idea where the EMP companies say, great, let's go get the drills back in the ground, that oil will come out nine months later, right? So we're, we're nowhere near that level right now. I mean, we're nowhere near that time frame right now where we can worry about that extra supply that may be conjured up from higher prices. We just haven't gotten the activity started yet. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. There is a, there is a, a huge time like Tony, do you think I mean, we're he, you know, it's everyone always wants to gravitate toward those round numbers. Right. Um, and we're hearing a hundred dollar barrel of oil tossed around an awful lot. Does that seem reasonable? As a road, as a little bump in the road or something like that. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like we're going to get to that price. It's probably going to be a volatile trip there. There may be a couple of dips, you know, along the way. Um, we may have the president release some more SPR reserves into a bid-only market, and maybe that slows it down for a day or two. Who knows? But I mean, 100 seems modest if, unless they really, really lay off the carbon neutral gas. I mean, 100 seems like something we'll see this quarter, if not next week. That's how I'm looking at it. Wow. So that's, that, that, that's, that's a lot of upside from here. We have a question from Brian on the RV site, I'd like to get Tony spin on why natural gas has pulled back so far. Do you see this continue to fade or potential upside? The crisis in Europe has calmed down considerably. Um, you know, they, they, they are operating on historically low gas reserves over there. They're trying to connect to the Russia Nord Stream 2 pipeline and they're having regulatory issues. Those issues during freezing cold or above normal temperatures were causing a spike in natural gas sort of at the beginning of the winter. Luckily, temperatures backed off to at normal or below normal, and that sort of took a lot of the air out of the sort of the pressure of that trade building up where TTF traded up to like 120 euro per, um, what is it, million, billion cubic feet or something like that. And so that's backed off to half the price. With uh, the situation in the U.S., we didn't have the natural gas supply shortage, so we don't have that sort of upside potential. And if when, when as we just saw with the eight to 14 day come in sort of in line with expectations, there's no urgency right here at the moment in the natural gas market. So, you know, that one's going to be really volatile, really weather dependent and extremely tricky to trade. And I'm kind of just trying to stay long the uh, stay long the equity is a lot easier for me than trading the natural gas. The, the commodity itself is a bit of a uh, bucking Bronco right now. <laughs> I like that. We have, we have, as you can imagine, a couple of questions about gold. Uh, Adam from the RV site saying, what do you think about gold here? Uh, and someone else saying, has gold finally woken up? I mean, I, we were laughing before the show when we were talking about it because it's true. Gold kind of bubbled up. Um, as something that's watching. And, but I know people people hate to hate it and people love to love it. What, what do you think about gold? 
I, I'm happy to participate in another keg party in gold because they're fun. So it's like, you know, when they bubble up to 1850, we hear the same thing like, okay, this is it. Here we go. Rah, rah, rah. And invariably, and I can't really explain it. If I could explain it, I would, I would, um, you know, probably be making a lot more money trading. But for whatever reason, the gold selling goblins tend to come back, you know, on any bit of dollar um, strength. They seem to come back on any bit of, you know, exciting news in the cryptocurrency markets that gets a lot of flow going into Bitcoin or Ethereum. And next thing you know, gold is back under $1,800. So I haven't left my feet. Excuse me. You know, I, I left my feet once. I fell for the fake once last year and I'm not falling for that head fake anymore. I'm rooting for gold because physical gold is a position that's a kind of mandatory position in 2021. Um, you know, given what central banks are doing to the fiat currencies in this era. Um, but broadly speaking, as a trade right now, uh, as one of my old managers at Jay Aaron used to say, I can think of a thousand better trades than piling into the gold market with everybody else right now. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because recently there was a, a I think it was an insider's uh, talk on uh, Real Vision, one of the conversations, and somebody was making the argument that I mean, it came up a couple of times that well, you might be right about bonds, but nobody wants to own bonds. Like they're just too boring. Like there's a generation of investors who are just not that interested. Um, and that at, at, in the same vein, as you just said, there's a million other things they can think to own. And maybe gold is like that. Maybe there is this sort of, you know, uh, permanent thesis around it that nobody, you know, there are other places to go. And it seems like crypto is one of them. I feel like gold will have its day again one day. You know, it, it's definitely something that should be on your radar screen. You should always know what's going on. But I'm kind of a fan of what gold's been doing because if you ask me, like, you know, the, the reason that I'm in gold is for it to go nowhere. You know? and, and <laughs> True. Least, yeah, you know, you're, you want to be in a preserve and a store of value, have the value stand still. And that's fine with me, you know. So whether gold's 1750 or 1850, it's doing what I want it to do. If it goes up, that's nice. Probably not a good thing. You know, it, it probably does send some messages about uh, fiat currency that central banks would rather not be permeating around the airwaves. But if the gold bugs are going to take another run at it, I'm going to wish them luck once again. And last question, Tony, um, and you touched on this a moment ago. I think when we're talking about gold, does the strengthening U.S. dollar have a negative effect on metals? We talked at the open about how many metals had been making big moves? What, what what do you watch in terms of dollar effect? So yeah, you know we we um, the dollar effect is something that you sort of have to be cognizant of on a intraday and intraweek basis. But it is something that you know when I look back at 2021 and I see that the dollar was up, dollar index was up five percent, which is a massive move for the dollar. And you look over at the commodity complex and did it weigh on commodities? No. Did it weigh on base metals? No. Did it weigh on oil price? No. Did it weigh on the gold price? Yeah, gold was flat last year. So, you know, when I look at it that way, you know, the dollar is definitely something that plays into it on a sort of intraday. You know, dollar strength is probably a tailwind. Uh, excuse me. Dollar strength is probably a headwind for most commodities. But when you step back and look at the 30,000 foot up view, you know, the commodity strength is very visible from underneath the hood, the way I call it, because we're into a lot of structural deficits and real supply demand stories in the commodity space once again. Mm. 
as we as we uh, sign off, Tony, do you have a favorite medal that you're watching right now? You know, it's really exciting. It's like watching a dog race right now. You know, copper through 10K again, nickel to an all-time high, aluminum back charging the highs after consolidating at the perfect support level. You know, I, I don't know. I like to just throw my hat in the base metal ring and hope for the best. I think that they're going to have a monstrous year if we continue to press the uh, carbon neutral and ESG principles as hard as we are. You know, we're pushing into, you know, this new paradigm of electric vehicles and battery platforms and where it got copper at 10K and limited supplies. So I wouldn't bet on that commodity with anybody's money this year. Fantastic stuff. Tony, thank you so much. And thanks to all of you. Fantastic questions uh, today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow with Jared Dillian. As always, the conversation continues on The Exchange. Take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.